I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, relax for just a minute. A um, couple of things. Um, so Adam said that you could text in and get some recommendations. You may want to hold off till I get finished because you'll probably have some new ones. Um, and, and I know Jared's gone, and I know you're thinking something's going to go wrong. I'm going to put you at ease. It already has. The fire department showed up on me yesterday. <laughs> Uh, I set off the smoke alarms trying to make some rolls. So, you know. But today I'm going to be talking about joy. And, and, and I want to give you a rundown of what's going to happen um, before we kind of get started. Um, we have a video. I forgot Jared added it in here. So we are going to be talking about joy. Um, if you're a note taker, I want to kind of give you a brief outline. And maybe this will help you understand the way that I think. Um, I'm a little abstract in my thought process. And so here's kind of what we're going to go through today. Um, I want to tell you just a little bit about me and my family. That way you can see where, where I'm coming from. Um, we're going to be part of the Christmas story. I want you to meet some shepherds. Um, then we're going to go to the end of the sermon. Um, then we're going to come back to the book of Ecclesiastes and look around it for a few minutes. And then we're going to go to the ending again. Okay? So hopefully at the end we're all still together. Hopefully you can trek with me. So please hang in there as I let my mind wander for just a minute. Um, so my family. Uh, I think I'm going to start with Abby. And she, she's the girl, you know, she, so she's the princess. She's probably our hardest worker. Uh, she loves Jesus. I mean, you can tell by everything she does. She loves Jesus. Um, but she is a hard worker. She studies a lot. She practices her flute all the time. Um, she babysits for people. So if you're looking for a babysitter, go ahead and write that down. Um, uh, but, but she does all those things a lot. 
She'd been my sidekick for a very long time. Um, I picked her up from school, and we would go everywhere together. She'd ride in a passenger seat, and we went everywhere together until just a few weeks ago, and she got her license. Now she's in control. Uh, you know how they, if you're a parent, right, you know. Um, uh, here, here's a little story about Abby that I want to tell you, uh, just kind of give you a picture of who she is. So at my house, we like to laugh a lot, and, and I try to instigate that. And so I said, we were talking about church, and I said, you know what would be awesome is one day we change all the candles out to Roman candles. <laughs> Abby said, I don't know what Roman candles are, but I know what a Roman Catholic is. <laughs> That's all you need to know about Abby. Then we have Caden. Now, Caden's pretty smart. I mean, he, he is brilliant, and, and the bad part is he knows that. Um, things just seem to come natural to Caden, and, and he loves to read. He has a high aptitude for learning, and he loves to put that on display whenever he can. What I'm trying to tell you is if you're wrong, he wants you to know it. And my prayer for Caden is that he finds a woman that loves him as much as he does. <laughs> the thing about Caden is he's not a morning person. I found him like this when he was young. <laughs> this is after about 30 minutes, you know. So we had to make him start taking showers. We can't pay that kind of water. Um, so, but then there's Devin. Um, you know people who just doesn't care if the sun comes up? I mean, that is Devin right there. There you go. Uh, Devin seems to be the luckiest. Just great things seem to happen to Devin for no reason at all. Um, and, and he just seems to find himself in good situations. I, I don't know. It's just something about it. Um, one time in a second grade Little League basketball game, he scored 16 of the 21 points while wearing a Mario costume. <laughs> so he, he just doesn't care. You know? um, he was playing Little League football, his, first, his only attempt at football. Um, he was playing for A.O. Angst, right? And, and, and Devin was kind of just doing his own thing. He wasn't even in the game, I don't think. Uh, he's just out there. And A.O. come over like a coach would. He grabbed him by his shoulder pads. He looked him right in the face. He said, Devin, I need you to do whatever it takes to get me that football. He was on defense. And it is, okay, I'll do that. So he goes over and he gets on the end of the line, lines up this, this boy, and uh, uh, the quarterback says, says, hike. Devin kicks the kid in front of him. <laughs> the kid falls over crying. Devin tackles the quarterback and gets the football. So A.O. comes over and says, okay, we need to talk a little more about how this is going to work. This is Devin. And then there's my wife. I love her. I mean, I love her. Uh, but, but I need you to pray for her. Uh, can you imagine dealing with this? All the, I mean, I wake up this way. Uh, I, I do. Uh, I always said that when she walks in a room, my heart skips a beat. Uh, then I had AFib and I had to have two surgeries. <laughs> so, so now I just tell her I love her, you know. But I really don't know where I'd be or what I would be without her. Um, 
She is, outside of my salvation, the greatest gift God has ever given me. And I am thankful for that every day. So that's the speed version of who we are. I mean, I think it's important to know that, just a little bit about me, as we start to look into what is joy. One of my favorite scriptures that have to do with joy comes from Luke 2, our traditional Christmas reading. Um, and here we meet some shepherds, so, so hear this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Then suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Then suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Can I get an amen on that? So what's this joy that this is telling us about? What is this joy um, that, that he, I, I, I mean, he said, we are bringing you good news that's going to bring everybody great joy. And let me tell you, I want my share of that. Um, so, so, so let's start at the end, right? Uh, see where I'm going with this? If you're here today and you've lost sight of joy in your life, Jesus Christ invites you into a relationship that will surpass everything else that you've ever banked on. And with his help, he will restore your joy. So now back to the beginning. To understand joy, I think we need to try to understand what joy is not. Um, when I was a child, my dad would bring these stickers home. Um, and there was this mining company named Joy. And some of you who are my age maybe will remember this. And uh, it was so fun to get those, but we're not talking about that group. A few of you may recognize this. Some of you I know will not. Um, but they use that to clean the dishes. This, again, is not the joy we are talking about. Joy's not related to happiness. And our American culture in this society, a lot of times we think joy equals smiling. But joy is altogether different than that. If you're happy, that depends on what is happening. And if you're not happy, that usually is because something has happened that makes you not happy. So happiness depends on the hap, what's happening. Joy is something altogether different. Um, joy kind of wraps its arms around every human emotion that we could imagine. Joy finds itself in the mix of everything that's, that's, that's going on in our lives. Joy is not dependent on the hap. It doesn't matter what's happening, and we can find joy. You can find joy in the middle of heartache. You can find joy in the middle of depression or pain or struggle. It's not just a happy feeling or a smile. 
Joy's a complete perspective shift. Joy's an entirely different way of looking at everything. Um, Caden, the smart one, right? He has a different way of, a unique way, we'll say that. He has a unique way of looking at things. Um, he is very literal. Um, when they got old enough to ride in the front of the car, you know, um, we had to implement a take turns rule because shotgun just wasn't working. <laughs> Maybe you deal with this same struggle. Um, so Caden gets in the front for one of the first times he had ever been in front, and he says, what is this? I said, well, it, it's the glove box. It's the glove compartment. He opens up, he said, well, there's no gloves in here. <laughs> What's these books? And I said, that's the owner's manual. What's an owner's manual? I said, well, you know, they, they give that to you so that if you have an option on your car, um, you can look it up and, and see how to work it and what it does and everything. And if the car breaks down, um, you go to the owner's manual and, and, and you start to, and he's looking at me and I, have you ever not believed yourself while you were talking? I, I just I said, we need to get some gloves. Caden has a different way of looking at things. I tell you these stories so that you know that we're the same. Um, so that you know that we are here right now together physically, that we occupy this same time, this same space. Um, and we are living our lives together. And we each have a certain way of how we view things. When I was little, my mom had these Christmas ornaments. Um, they were little gingerbread men, and they were made of this soft kind of stuff, right? And so I have a younger brother. Uh, me, about seven, him, about four, were playing one day. He eat the leg off one of them. <laughs> I mean, they smelled like cinnamon. He's a little boy. You know the struggle. Edible. He got sick. I mean, he got sick. For the next 30 minutes, that's what we're dealing with, right? So my mom comes in there, and she cleans everything up and gets him back together. Uh, you know, two hours later, he bit the other one. I don't know why both, you know. I, I appreciate his curiosity. But my brother sees things a little different too. He always sees there's a new possibility. Maybe this one is gingerbread. <laughs> there's a thing that happens as we go through life. When we get stuck doing the mundane, you know, when we just are going through life, we have done this a million times and we know how it goes. We know what comes next and we could just sleep through it, you know? Um, you know what? When you could just phone it in, I mean, you know how it works. Um, but you also know people that don't, right? Have you ever been to the gas station down by the rest area on the mountain parkway and the ladies there singing as you come in? A million times she has run that register, but she loves what she does. 
And you see these people and you encounter people who really just throw themselves into whatever it is that they're doing and they're completely immersed into that situation and they don't look back. They don't slow down. They're here, completely present in everything that's happening. And that does something to you. The more average, the more everyday it is, the more temptation we have to just survive, to just do whatever it takes to make it through, to maintain the minimum. But these people don't. Um, they give it everything every day, day in and day out. They are completely present all the time, and this changes them. You know who they are. I'm not sure what you do, but, but if you're like me, Maybe in the middle of the morning you stop and you check your cell phone for text messages just to make sure somebody remembered that you're alive. Something about those little blue dots that tell us that we matter to somebody. Here I am, I'm alive. Thanks for noticing. We have these lives and we're here and, and we go and we do these things that we do each and every day. It was early on that I realized that being a pastor is hard. Um, it's especially hard on the heart. Um, because, see, we get a fast-forward uh, motion to the, we get a front-seat view of some of the worst moments that families ever go through. There's no how you're doing. It's we need you. Feels like sometimes I live in these two different worlds, you know, where, where you have that front seat, but yet you've got to be something else somewhere else. I remember one time a former student called me, Chad. We hadn't talked for a few years. You know, he had graduated and went on. But his phone, his number was in my phone, and so when his name lit up, I answered, hello? And, and it was Chad on the other line, and he says, my girlfriend just gave birth a little bit ago. It was very premature. Um, my baby's not going to make it. Could you just come and sit with me? So I go, and I just sit. We don't say a lot. I just sit there. And I'm sitting with him when his baby drew his last breath. And then an hour and a half later, I'm at home. I'm playing school with Abby. Um, and she calls my mommy when we played school um, to tell how bad I'd been as a student. <laughs> and in the kitchen, Billy's getting a meal ready, and we're going to sit around a table with the four other people on this planet that I love the most. And I'm going to smile. And we're going to pretend like the world is perfect, while in the back of my mind, I know that for at least one family, the world has just fell apart. All the dreams, all the hopes have just been erased, and you can't answer that question of why. Now, this is an extreme case, but in some sense, this is how we all live. How do we reconcile this? How do we go on and on and do and be and each and every day deal with this struggle and this tension? I mean, how can we live in this world that always seems to break our hearts like it does, and have any semblance of joy. There's a book of wisdom in the Bible. It's Ecclesiastes. Um, 
And it opens like this. Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He had a strong opening line, didn't he? But then he goes on to say, all the things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again, and there's no, there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. It is all meaningless. There's nothing new. And this writer is pointing at this as hard as he can. And he is just getting started. He says, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also the madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. More knowledge, the more grief. It's like the teacher is saying, do you really want to know why? And how this whole thing works. Uh, because the more you figure out, the more pain that seems to be involved. And then he goes on to say, In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness. And the wicked living long in their wickedness. He's essentially saying that, that, that how long you live isn't affected by how good you are or, or what you do. Um, he's saying, I've seen some really good people die really young, and I've seen some very horrible people live very long lives. He's saying, let me separate the notion of being good is a re is, gets rewarded with a long life. But there's a word that keeps popping up as we read, meaningless. Uh, this book of Ecclesiastes was written with a Hebrew understanding, and they was a very agrarian-based society. They, they lived and breathed through agriculture. So things like the sun, the soil, water, those things meant something different to them than they do to us today. It's a little different today. Um, but this word meaningless from the Hebrew language is actually the word havel, and if you translate that word into uh, modern English, it literally means vapor or mist. Um, so the book starts out like this. It's saying that our life is like that. It's just a mist. It's here and then it's gone. It's nothing. It's just a vapor. And you arrive and then you are gone. Friday in Lexington, we went to this football game. Maybe you were there. Um, but we go in and I'm waiting on my friend. Um, his name's Chris. I'm big Chris. He's little Chris. But I'm there and he finally makes it in and he said, sorry, it took us forever. Um, the lines were horrible, and it felt like forever before we get in here. And I said, no, Chris, it took you 11 minutes. <laughs> it's a little different. But this image that this teacher is using is that you are here, and then you are gone. 
And then he takes an unexpected turn. He says, go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Enjoy life. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all of your meaningless days. He said, as we live our lives, we need to understand that it is short and it is fragile. Um, that, that, that it is um, uh, um, temporary. But since we're here, we should probably try to enjoy it. Uh, but, because there are way less guarantees than anybody had ever told us. Um, there are no promises for today or tomorrow. And, and there's a certain unpredictability that's mixed into this whole thing. The book also says this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of its meaninglessness. Chasing after the wind. So I hated the things that I toiled under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet will they have control over the fruit of my toil until which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. He's saying I can fill the bank up. I can stack up things. I can gather things. I can have the nicest cars. I can do whatever. I can make a nice, neat, high pile. But the moment I die, somebody else is in charge. And who knows what they're even going to do with it. Eventually, he's saying, have you met my children? But he comes back around. And he says, this is what I've observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during a few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept them, their lot, and be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. So you're just here for a moment. It's so vapor-like, so fragile, fleeting, temporary. You should just enjoy it. And if you can find something meaningful to give your energy, to devote your life to, then I say grab a hold of it. It's going to make your life so much better because you're just here for a brief period of time. It's all vapor. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing in their heart's desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. So this teacher is saying, let me tell you what's horrible. It's to be surrounded by goodness. It's to be immersed in all this stuff, but being unable to access it or enjoy it. He's saying, imagine, just imagine if there's a culture who had more wealth, more technology, more luxury, uh, more options than any other civilization that's ever existed on this planet. But yet, there's more people who are stressed and anxious and worried and unable to enjoy any of this abundance. Can you imagine that? 
And so we find ourselves in this daily fight, and we just want to survive. And at best, on some days, we just go through the motions. And it seems that our number one goal is just to exist. And somehow, in the middle of all this that God has given us, we just get in a car and go to the store. I mean, we went two generations ago that that was not an option. And in the middle of this, we've lost our joy. This is not what God has had planned for us. That's why Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's saying, I don't want you to just exist. I want you to live. And not just live any kind of life, but I want you to have this full life. I want you to have life with meaning, with purpose, a life to the fullest. And this is where the writer of Ecclesiastes has tried to tell us that there are way less guarantees than we could have ever imagined. That this world, that this life, that the things that we have come to depend on are not as dependable as we thought they were. Money comes and goes. Stable leadership. We're not even going to talk about that. The plumbing at my house. Hit or miss. Our health. These things that we depend on daily. They're going to let us down. Back to Chad, the baby, and this turmoil that's in my heart. I've learned that it's not one situation that competes against the other, but it's one situation that helps inform how to act in the other. The one situation reminds me of how fragile this all is. Um, how can it break your heart at any given second? And what does that do to inform the other? I mean, this could all disappear right now. So I'm going to enjoy it while I have it. There's something about going through dark times that help us enjoy the light way better. I stood beside the grave of my firstborn child thinking there's no way God's got a plan for this how could this be but as I sat with Chad who had no idea that I had buried a child he just saw my perfect little family I stood there with him and I told him that it's going to be okay you're never going to be the same this moment is going to inform the rest of your life. You're going to mark a lot of things by what we're sitting through, but it's going to be okay. You're going to, when you finally open the door and you're able to love again, it's going to be way deeper. I'm able to love 
and forgive and to enjoy my kids, even the rotten one, a lot better because of the things that I've endured. Because in a small way, I understand the vapor of it all, how quickly it can be gone. And so joy is not about being happy. Joy wraps its arms around every human emotion, and it finds itself mixed into these things. So when the angel said that Jesus will bring great joy, they're talking about hope. Hope in the middle of a world uh, that, 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 is, that is crisis, that is full of these crises. Hope in the middle of a world that is falling apart. Hope in the middle of struggle or addiction. Joy is knowing that Jesus Christ came for a purpose, and that purpose is you. So here it is, right? The same words we started with. If you're here today and you've lost sight of this joy, if you've lost sight of this joy in your life, then Jesus Christ invites you into a relationship that will surpass everything else. And with his help, he can restore your joy. I don't know where you are today, but I know when I wake up that there's nothing, nothing better than the forgiving and a saving grace and, and, and the resurrection power that only comes from Jesus. And if you've lost that in your life, um, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Um, suddenly, the angel showed up. And that can happen again. That can happen again here in your life today. And, and if you um, would you like prayer, or if there's something that has happened in your heart today that has stirred you, I want you to know that this is a great opportunity. And there are people in this room, our elders and others here today, that would love to pray with you and for you. So during this last song, if there's something in your heart, you can find your way up here, and I'll pray with you. You can raise your hand and somebody close to you will lend a few words because I know how special that was in my life one day when I was just a mess. I was about four rows back on the left-hand side and Frank Nall just kind of slid in beside of me, put his hand on my leg, told me it's going to be okay. Changed my life. I don't want you to miss this moment. So during this last song, you can just raise your hand and we'll make our way to you. Don't miss this opportunity to have a fresh start and to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Pray with me if you will. Father, we are so thankful that you brought joy to this earth because without you, we are just nothing. I pray, Father, that if there's someone here in this room right now who stands outside of, of this joy, who stands outside of, of, of your will, that, Father, that today, that today that they realize that you are the only way. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.